Welcome to the Art of Business podcast that we're recording alongside the World Economic Forum annual meeting uh, of 2023. Uh, I'm Monica Tiang, Head of Curation and Community at the House of Beautiful Business. I'm here with Jason Kakoyanis, who's the Managing Director of Ferment uh, that's bringing forward new companies uh, using synthetic biology in partnership with Ginkgo Bioworks. So Jason, thank you so much for coming into this little Heimat Museum, the Museum of Local History here in Davos. Great to have you here. It's great to be here, Monica. Thank you so much for organizing this and inviting me. Firstly, tell me a little bit uh, how your time here in Davos has been. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. It's been fantastic. I've been spending a lot of time in various meetings, as you can imagine, back to back. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm wearing a few hats here. I'm representing some of the companies that we've created and visiting with uh, customers and corporate partners. I'm also uh, speaking to potential investors who want to get more involved with the studio and the company creation that we do. Uh, and then I'm also meeting with potential customers for some of the companies that we've developed. So uh, that's, that's filled my dance card. And then in addition, you try to always leave some time for improvisation and uh, encountering new ideas and new people and doing the kind of things that we're going to do now. That's great. Um, I, you know, I, I told you just before we started recording this podcast that I know little to nothing uh, about synthetic biology. Um, so I do want to learn uh, more about that. But, but firstly, uh, I stumbled over the fact that you, before getting into business, uh, I actually studied um, art history or started studying art history at Yale. And then you spent a few years in New York as a curator and artist yourself. So I'm curious about that as well. Tell, you, tell us more. Sure. Yeah. So um, I came out of undergrad and, and, and you know, a typical fashion asked my professors what I should do career wise. And the advice was become an academic. And so I explored that as passionate about art and, and theory um, and so pursued most of a PhD at a certain point realized the professorial life wasn't going to be for me. And so I, I pivoted and went down to New York, started working in galleries, had a fellowship at the Whitney, started to curate um, and got into art making and spent a few years doing that and then kind of hit the eject button, went to law school. And throughout law school and my career, three and four years doing M&A law uh, in New York, had been continued to be fascinated with uh, sensory experience, so fragrance, flavor, mm. and that whole category of of experience um, compelled me because during my art years, I'd started writing a lot about that area, um, and and it came because I was I was seeing that like art theory, art criticism was really getting very loud relative to the to the work that was being made, and so was looking for areas of practice and creativity that were, were resistant to theorization, recalcitrant to that. And it always occurred to me that what, whatever's going on in terms of inner experience with um, when you're tasting or smelling something, that kind of focus and, and attentiveness seems to be very resistant to our ability to, to language it, narrate or describe it. So I really always thought of that category as an antidote to, you know, rational, e ego-driven, normal everyday experience. Mm. Um, and so that took me into the fragrance and flavor industry, 
uh, and I spent five years at a company called Jividon, largest fragrance and flavor uh, company in the world, really working on strategy and working with customers on one side and perfumers and flavorists on the other and creating these amazing sort of sensory experiences that you know, billions of people throughout the world are, are part of, right? I mean, creating everything from fine fragrance to the scents that go into shampoo and soap. And, and you know, you, we all kind of live and navigate through a designed environment, a sensory environment. No one thinks very much about this, but there's an entire industry of, of expert, trained, passionate uh, folks who are, who are creating this environment. And so I spent some of the most fulfilling um, and creative times of my life uh, in this industry. And then around 2014, started to encounter companies that were using biotech, synthetic biology, to produce ingredients that were used in the production of fragrances and flavors. So aroma chemicals, things that we were typically extracting from plants or using chemistry to produce. Uh, there are a few companies that were now saying, you know, we're at the point where we can um, essentially program yeast and microbes to produce those compounds on demand uh, through fermentation to a specific molecular specification. Um, and as a student of that industry, or as a student of the fragrance and flavor industry, rather, I was very much aware of the, the complexities of the supply chain that companies like Jividon and Firminic and IFF are, are continually dealing with. So this new technology um, of, of biomanufacturing aroma chemicals and, and materials was extremely compelling. And I saw an opportunity to help those companies better translate what they were doing to the companies that I was very familiar with. And so around 2014, I left Jividon and, and got involved with a company called Ginkgo Bioworks and spent several years helping them build up their business in fragrance and flavor and eventually enzymes, food ingredients, chemical intermediates, et cetera. And so that was my, my leap into the world of synthetic biology. Mm. And, and since then, how have you observed, um, you know, the development of this uh, space? I mean, people are talking about this is the next big thing, uh, the, the bioeconomy and how uh, synthetic biology is going to affect basically, you know, any industry from manufacturing, as you already mentioned, uh, to farming and food uh, and so forth. So tell me a little bit about that, how, how, you've, how yeah. you've seen that experienced. Absolutely. So there's a lot to say here. I think that, um, first of all, like, um, a point of clarification or, or um, articulation. So synthetic biology is, is really named as, as a field. The, the, synth the synthetic part comes from the concept of synthesis, of, of creation, of making something you know, in the way that synthetic chemistry is about making uh, chemicals that can become materials, et cetera. The idea was using biology as a manufacturing platform. Um, and so what, what's occurred over the last 15 years is the convergence of a few different technologies that have made it much easier to work with or work alongside biology, right? If you think about the productive capacities that evolution has has created within um, the living world, right? A cell is able to work at a level of precision that is um, unmatched in any other human 
mode of manufacturing, right? Cells can move uh, with atomic levels of precision when they're building proteins or other things, but, but biology is also fantastically scalable, right? If you imagine a satellite image of the Amazon basin, this is hundreds of thousands of square miles covered in life, right? It is, it's sort of like truly planet scale. So we're talking about a, a technology that has the sophistication to work at this micro scale, but can also um, operate at a planetary scale. So this is an extremely sophisticated technology system that we live amidst. And so the vision for synthetic biology is really trying to tap into the, those productive capacities but in some ways coax them or, or direct them toward um, ends that can be useful uh, in, the, in, the, in the built world, in the human world. Um, what's, I think, driven the technology such that folks like myself, who clearly have non-technical backgrounds, can now get involved in a meaningful way in the industry is that um, the costs to really working with biology have dropped dramatically since, say, 2000. I'm sure you, you're familiar with this, but the basic raw materials for engineering a cell mm -hmm. involve the ability to read that, the genome of that cell, so what's called DNA sequencing, mm -hmm. and then to um, synthesize DNA in a, you know, in a sequence that you've determined would change the behavior of the cell in, in a way that's, that's useful. Um, and that's DNA synthesis. So, so printing the A, C, T's and G's chemically. Um, and the cost to, to work with both of these technologies have dropped you know, more than a million fold. So when you have a, a, a price drop that is that steep for any important raw material, you are gonna open up the possibilities of that technology uh, in a meaningful way. And so most people hear biotechnology, they think instantly of uh, pharma and therapeutics. Mm -hmm. right? and, and that's because for a period of time since say the mid 70s to the early 2000s, the costs of working with this technology were, were fairly high. And so it was bound up in either research universities or, or large pharma companies. But as a result of the cost decreases I just narrated to you, um, it's expanded the uh, application space, right? So that fragrance and flavor companies, ingredient companies, um, ag biotech has really taken off. And so the, the range of applications has exploded. And as a result, I think the, the consumer conversation, the public awareness, just the, the meaningfulness and impact on the macro economy uh, from biology is growing. Mm. And when you just said, you know, ingredients, and we talked about, about flavors as well, uh, I, I thought of, you know, examples that I know of, or that probably most people uh, know of where such biotech comes in. Uh, for example, alternative protein, right? So there's um, also been a little bit of a, um, yeah, more media coverage on so-called lab-grown meat um, and, and other dairy options. So I'm interested in other examples that you can uh, share of the companies that you are working with and help uh, incubate and accelerate it. Yeah, so um, the goal of Ferment, the company creation studio that I, that I work at and, and founded is to build new companies that can um, 
take the applications of synthetic biology into end markets where maybe biotech has a toehold, but where it hasn't been fully leveraged yet. Um, and so th that's a, a very divergent set of spaces, right? It can be everything from food ingredients to animal health products, to nutrition ingredients for human health, to waste remediation, to advanced materials and beyond. And uh, the reason that you can touch so many markets is, is that biology is really wonderful at a variety of different forms of, of chemistry. Um, and that the types of molecules ranging from small molecules to monomers to proteins and things in between touch many different uh, types of end markets and end materials. So what we're doing at Ferment is often um, looking to match an unmet need in a market mm -hmm. to something that's reachable through biology. Uh, the products we develop need to both be able to displace the current um, systems or, or ingredients being used, but also confer a new benefit. Right, something that consumers or products don't have yet. So we're looking for opportunities to both drop in, but also create a new kind of value. And um, you know, we, we've talked a lot about the, the the positive possibilities, and it's very interesting to learn the the range uh, of both you know the micro and the planetary, but then also the accessibility um, of this technology across these different fields that is currently happening. So I'm wondering about the the risks as well, and sort of the ethical concerns um, in in this uh, field, and when we talk about this technology and how much it is sort of aware, I guess, and, and present in the work that you do, but also in the larger conversation on, on where this is headed? Uh, sure. I think that um, in, in this conversation, it's useful to take a historical perspective. And so a lot of folks don't realize how broad-based um, using fermentation and, and biological systems to produce materials and ingredients uh, in everyday life is, right? So stretching back to production of enzymes 30, 40 years ago, amino acids for animal feed, um, into then the development of what is called recombinant, uh, re recombinant biology and being able to manipulate genetic level code to produce things like insulin, you know, companies like Genentech and then moving into crop biotech in the 90s or late 80s. Um, I think that if we were to like walk through a grocery store, for instance, and put a spotlight over every product that has um, something coming from engineered biology, people would be quite surprised to see how widespread the technology is, right? So if you, for instance, you washed your clothes today, uh, you were using a detergent that likely had an, an enzyme or a cold water enzyme that comes from um, a fermentation process. Um, if you had a, you know, peppermint patty or a baked good, you were likely eating eating something mm -hmm. made via enzyme technology. Um, and so I'm pointing to that only as a sort of history of use, history of, right. of stable use. Um, but I do think that as the technology advances and gets more um, ubiquitous and distributed, right, we have, we, we, acknowledge that we're working with something quite powerful, biology. And so we've all just been through an era in the last two or three years with COVID of seeing what 
out of control biology can do, literally shut the world down. Um, and so it's important as this industry grows for also to profess um, awareness of the responsibilities that come with working with technologies like this. And mm -hmm. so I think what it is good to see is the growing discussion and capabilities around biosecurity infrastructure, um, you know, putting practices in place, you know, ethical practices, social practices, so that as these technologies de develop, there's also both an ethos of responsible deployment of the technology in social contexts, uh, but also a meaningful technical infrastructure to, to safeguard us from some of those risks. And as we're, as we're coming to an end uh, slowly here, I want to actually bring it back to art. Um, where do you see you know, biotech uh, intersect with art in a, in a meaningful way? Um, that's interesting. Uh, I think, gosh, I think there are a couple of different applications I, I can think of. I think that um, artists have recently I think started to discover by like the complexity of biological systems and the fact that they're sort of these emerging or emergent systems, right? Not not directed per se, but uh, but emergent. And so I've seen artists working with bacterial communities in order to I don't know ge generate objects or or imagery. I've seen also um, artists sort of taking pictures of um, the, the kind of fascinating microscopic structures that um, that microbial communities and cells generate. I think there's also, uh, you know, as I think the art world is also now dealing with technological change that's happening at a rate, and it's probably, probably like a, a rate of technology change and impact that's um, well, maybe every era thinks that their rate of change is unique, but more than ever, I think we need art and artistic ways of thinking to help us grapple with some of the implications of the technology we're building, right? So rather than the, maybe the kind of objects that artists are making using biology, I think what's really interesting is the, um, the way that, uh, philosophical categories and theoretical categories are somewhat being rewritten by discoveries being made in the life sciences and how those, maybe some of those stable um, categories are being troubled by the way, frankly, just what, what's being revealed as we work with biology. And so that I'd say is, is where I'm trying to pay attention. And maybe as a, as a last question, just uh, also out of curiosity, because you've only heard recently of the House of Beautiful Business, um, what do you make of beautiful business? What does it bring up for you? How do you resonate with it? Yeah, I think beauty is such an interesting concept, right? I mean, in ancient Greeks had a concept of beauty that's very different than, than what we have now. I think it, it seems to speak to some sense of, of harmonization or achievement of equilibria. And, and for me personally, what, what the journey was always about was figuring out how to mesh my, um, my own interests in, in 
aesthetics and and creativity and that kind of risk involved with art making, grappling abstractly with with ideas um, to render them concrete, but also being able to impact large scale systems. Um, and I felt at a certain point that the, the best way to do that would be through creating um, self-sustaining businesses and collab you know enterprises of meaningful scale always involve a level of collaboration, of alignment of mutual interests. And most businesses really can't survive unless they're creating value for others. It's sort of the, the essence of the value exchange, right? And so for me, I guess beautiful business would be um, a combination of these features, features, like personal creativity, um, meshed with some kind of meaningful collaboration, but being able to do it at a larger scale. Thank you so much, Jason. Yeah, it was, it was a real pleasure, pleasure <laughs> speaking with you. Thank, Thank you. you.